<laughs> Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Free Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. And you put a 225 in front of that number. That will get you to us from anywhere in the continental United States, and we would love to hear from you this morning. That's right. And, of course, if you're calling from outside of state, just give us a notice of that, and we'll put you in touch with the producer who will get your name and your address, and I'll send an Agco T-shirt right out to you on Monday morning. Freshly USPS. That's right. Give Elizabeth something to do Monday morning. Yeah, it's like she really <laughs> needs something else to do. <laughs> hey, let's go straight to our phone lines with Richard. Good morning, Richard. Morning. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Yeah, Toyota Tacoma four-wheel drive. Okay. 2010, 28,000 miles. Okay. How much slack should I have in the front driver's side output shaft? That's, you know, that's the one you know coming out of the chunk going to the wheel. What do you mean by slack, Richard? How are you checking it? All right, I'm under that changing the oil the other day. Mm-hmm. Always grabbing, pushing, twisting, looking mm-hmm, at my mm-hmm. U-joint. I shook that shaft, okay. and it had about, I guess, three-eighths up and down play. Where it plugs into the differential like it's moving inside the differential? Well, no. Where it's actually sliding, it's got to be a spline shaft. That is a CV joint assembly, correct? It's got a boot on each side? Right, but it's the slack's not in the CV it's going to have some movement in there, Richard. It's not a tight-fit bearing mounted or anything, so there is some movement. Three-eighths of an inch sounds a little excessive. I would really just have to kind of see exactly what it is you're talking about. I'm not 100% sure, but... Well, it had run out up and down. Yes, yeah, sir. All around. And it also had about the same amount of play into the chunk. Yeah, is the other side the same way? No, the other side's tight. Hmm. And does is the seal leaking or anything? No, no seal leaking. No noise or anything? No, well, no. It does it does thump when I? Well, I've only had it in four wheel drive three or four. Times. Yeah, but I think all that's turning all the time. Well, it's in four wheel drive or not, unless you got lockout hubs on it. No, no. no yes, that's always there. rotating. I would say it is most likely going to be normal, although it may be a little excessive. I would just have to see it, Richard, tell you for certain. I would say if the seal is not leaking and there's not a tremendous amount of noise in it, you know, if you had a great deal of slack there that didn't belong there, you'd have some other symptom along with it. Touch base with you because mm-hmm. I know y'all deal with this stuff a lot before I bring it back to the dealership. Yeah, if it's under warranty, I just bring it in, have them look at it and see what they think. Say, hey, guys, is this supposed to be this way? And if they say, yeah, you might even say, well, do you happen to have another one here you can show yeah, me? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what I was going to do. But Chances are, if it were an excessive amount of slack and plugs into the carrier on the inside, there's two carrier bearings. That carrier bearing was loose enough to really allow that thing to move that much. It would have a heck of a whining noise in it, and the seal would be leaking. So odds are it's just the way it fits into the carrier. There's probably slack in the splines because it has to move up and down when the wheel moves up and down. Chances are it's okay, but yeah, I'd at least have them look at it, especially if it's under warranty. Right, it is under warranty. All righty. All right, thank you. Okay, Richard, thanks, man. Bye bye. All right, four nine 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 five two six number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we're going back to our phone lines with Al. Good morning, Al. Yes, I got a '94 Chevy S10 with a 2.2 engine. Okay, it's a standard. I was making a turn and I put my clutch in to shift down, and the engine killed right before it killed. It made like a sort of tapping noise. Okay. And I was still coasting, so I tried to put the clutch yes, in and mm-hmm. start it up. It wouldn't start. Okay. So when the car stopped, I tried to start it up, and mm-hmm. it started making like a tapping noise. Yeah. Is it, when you crank the engine over, Al, does it sound like it's turned over maybe a little bit faster than normal? 
I didn't recognize that. But anyway, from the tapping noise, I took the valve covers off, and uh-huh. it looked like everything was moving in there. Yeah. So I took the timing chain. I went into the timing chain, mm-hmm. and the tensioner was broken. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It sounds like it jumped timing. When I looked in there, I seen some plastic pieces broken. You yeah, know? that's going to be little teeth off that timing gear, off that camshaft gear. Yeah, well, it looks like I found part of the bottom plastic. Mm-hmm. You know, they got two plastics. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. And I never did find the top one, you know. Yeah, it probably fell down into the oil pan. That or it disintegrated uh, when just, it went just, through the chain or something. Yeah, busted all up, got caught in the chain and ground it It's going to be down in the oil pan somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I put another tensioner on and I tried to spin it over. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like it wants to crank over, but all of a sudden the engine jams before it. Put everything back in time. Yeah. Because, see, I'm the cam is going to, when, when that breaks, the cam and the crank are going to be out of synchronization with each other. So you're going to have to retime the engine. And you got to make sure you get it timed properly because the crankshaft turns twice for every one time that the camshaft turns. And it's very easy to get it 180 degrees off. In other words, that little dot on that crankshaft is going to come up twice. So you're probably 180 degrees out of time if it's doing that. That's It sounds like it's still out of time. Well, they gave the directions when yeah. I bought tension, and they yeah. tell you which way to face. <laughs> <laughs> Probably 180 degrees out of time. Uh, it feels like it's locking up. It's what it's doing. It's coming up on compression when it shouldn't. See, that's what's giving you that. All right. The only other way to test that is if you got the wherewithal to line up the timing mark on the harmonic balancer and then see if both the valves on cylinder number one are closed. If one's open and one's closed or something like that, you're definitely out of time. Yeah. Well, I had a mechanic come look at it. He mm-hmm. said it looked like it was in time. Yeah, you know? I bet you a dollar to a donut you out of time. Pull the valve cover back off, put the timing mark on number one, and see where those valves are. All right. Yeah, that or you can just check the compression on the engine. If you got a compression gauge, and if you got no compression in some of the cylinders and some compression in some of the others, chance are the engine's out of time. Uh, and that would jam, oh, yeah. jam it up. Yeah, it so, to- yeah, it's coming up on compression. Now, the only other option, Al, is that when it, it jumped time and the valves could have hit the pistons and it could have bent some valves or something in it. I mean, that's possible, but mm-hmm. it just depends on what else went on with the thing out of time. When when timing chain comes apart, the valves stop wherever they're at and the pistons keep moving. So it is possible that you got some internal engine damage also, but Odds are it's just it's going to be 180 degrees out of time. That's a very, very common problem that people do because crankshaft goes around twice, and people bring it up to a little two dots are lined up with each other, and they think it's in time, but they don't realize the crankshaft is on the opposite side of the stroke from camshaft. All right. All right. I appreciate it. Okay, Al. Good luck to you, buddy. Bye-bye. Alright, 499-9526 the number. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, we'd love to have you. And we got Greg online. Good morning, Greg. How's it going today? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, I got an air conditioning question. Okay. I'm not having any issues. Things doing well and have been and blowing well and everything. But is there a a yearly preventative maintenance or a check or you know, something like that you guys not uh, really, recommend. Greg. There's a couple of things that you can do on an air conditioner that will really prevent a lot of problems, and, and you could probably do both of them yourself. Number one is make absolutely sure that the belt is good. And when I say belt is good, a serpentine belt on newer cars is very, very difficult to judge. You've really got to have a gauge to measure it because it's made out of what's called EPDM rubber. It's not going to crack. You're not going to get little cracks in it, and you're not going to know it's bad. But if that belt has more than about 60,000 miles, just change it because what it'll do is it'll start to slip very slightly. It won't even make a sound or anything, but that slippage will build up a lot of heat and end up burning up the clutch on your compressor. Second thing is to clean the condenser. That's one of the most overlooked things 
anywhere. And what happens, that condenser gets all of the airflow from the engine through it, and it's usually the first thing. So it catches all of the debris. And when it starts to get dirty, you lose a bunch of efficiency. So the head pressure on the compressor goes sky high. And when that happens, it really, really loads the compressor. And that's one of the things that makes the compressor fail. Now, that's something you can do yourself. They make a number of different chemicals that you can use, but I generally just take a garden hose and just put your thumb on the end of it to generate some pressure and just carefully blow down through all the fins. Of course, anything you can see and remove it. I've seen where you'll get like a bird nest or a squirrel nest or a rat nest between the condenser and the radiator. Anything you can do like that is going to help a whole, whole bunch. Beyond that, it's best not to ever open an air conditioning system if you don't absolutely have to. Because right. when they service it at the factory, they do a very good job of evacuating it, keeping all the moisture out and all that. Every time you service it, you're going to get moisture and air back into the system. Of course, you use a vacuum pump to draw it out. But it's sort of like being operated on. Every time you do it, it may save your life. It may be necessary. But you're not ever going to be 100% exactly the same <laughs> mm-hmm. after they mm-hmm. cut you open. The less you can go into an air conditioning system, the better you're going to be. Okay. Now, do yourself with a favor with that belt. First mm-hmm. thing you do is look under the hood and find the emissions label. Around the emissions label should be a diagram of the way that belt goes on that engine. Mm-hmm. If uh-huh. not, draw you one. Before yeah. you take the belt off, right, draw you your pulleys you and draw your direction. Your cell phone, take right. a picture I won't of it. be doing all that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so say. Off, but I do have an appointment with you guys on Monday. Just oh, okay. Well, great. Great. So if I add that to my list, y'all should be able to Perfect. handle all that. Yes, right? sir, exactly. And one last thing that we would do is we can do what they call a efficiency test. That's where we can measure the ambient temperature, we can measure the condenser temperatures, and we can measure the output temperature and just make sure it is doing all that it's supposed to be doing. But if it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, it's best to leave it alone. Just clean it up and put yeah. a good belt on it. Yeah, I just, just want to make sure it's okay for the season. Oh, absolutely, yeah, because we're fixing to get some real hot weather here. Okay, good deal. I'll put that on my list. Okay, Greg. Thanks. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we're going to talk to Melvin. Good morning, Melvin. Hey, Lewis. I have a 2004 Crown Victoria. Okay. When it rains, my passenger side floorboard is filling full of water. Yes, sir. Melvin, I'm going to tell you the most common thing on that by a wide measure. If you park the car out under trees... There's going to be a bunch of leaves and stuff that'll get down inside of the cow. It falls on the windshield, runs down, runs under that little grill, and it's a couple of drain holes. Real, real important that you go out there today and clean all that out. Because I'm going to tell you, the next thing that's going to happen is that your windshield wipers are going to quit working. And that's because the water builds up in that cow and floods that motor. And so you're going to have about a four or $500 repair bill on your hands. But almost always, that's what it is. And what it is, there is a vent where the fresh air ducks in, but it's all the way at the top. And water never gets that high unless those vents plug up. But if you raise the hood and take the windshield wipers off and take that little cow cover off, you can see a bunch of leaves and straw and debris and trash. And on either end, you can see a hole. Make sure you wash that hole out real good where the water's running on out. Okay. All righty. All right. Thank you, Luke. Yes, sir. Thank you. We're going to take our quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. 
Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you're joining us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we're going back to phone lines with Paul. Good morning, Paul. Uh, good morning, Lewis, y'all. Yes. Good morning. I have a elementary question. What is the reason for the power resistance? I'll put resistance in the spark plug wires. Other than I realize they might affect the radio and the electronics. Yes, sir. They'd be on board. Yes, sir. The original concept, Paul, was because by putting a resistor in there, they can actually change the frequency of the wire, and it wouldn't interfere with the AM radios that we used to have. Later on, they found that there was also a secondary benefit because you got a plug gap. And what happens is that as the energy in the call starts to build, I know to us it's like an instantaneous thing, but actually it's a process of building, ramping up, reaching a peak, and then jumping. What would happen is that some of the power or some of the energy could actually bleed off across the gap before the initial jump. So what they did by putting a little gap inside the spark plug, a secondary gap, it made that energy jump up a little bit higher before it could cross those two gaps. It's kind of like if you got a high jump type thing and you've got to jump say a certain thing if you jump over something in front of it that's higher well then you're automatically going to clear the second one mm-hmm. so by putting a resistor it's just a little gap inside the spark plug what it did is allowed the energy to build just a tad bit higher before it jumped the gap gave you a little bit hotter cleaner spark oh okay so like in my particular case i have a uh, outboard engine mm-hmm. uh, an inboard there's not even electronics there's not even radios or, or, or correct or so but i do have resistors wires on there but they get they giving me trouble mm-hmm. and i just Bypass and put a straight wire on that thing? Yeah, as far as the wire, you could. Now, the spark plug may be a resistor plug, and there would be no advantage to not putting the resistor plug in. In fact, I'm not sure you can even buy a plug that's not resistor any longer. I think just about everything automatically is just mm-hmm. made that way. Yeah, it may be right. There. But, yeah, you could put a regular wire on it. I mean, worst case, you're going to create some problems for the people you drive by with your boat you know but uh yeah it does produce a magnetic interference that's why they use a carbon fiber wire instead of a metal wire we used to use them on our race car we use regular copper wires on there yeah yeah i, I know so my my early days did mm-hmm. okay all right give me some good insights thanks okay man thanks a lot bye-bye Bye. all right 499-9526 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive we'd love to have you and we've got john online good morning john good morning yes sir a few weeks back or a few days back, you had talked about a problem with, a, I think it was a Buick Lucerne. I didn't hear the, the show. My wife did. Mm-hmm. We're having trouble with a 2007 Buick Lucerne. Okay. Using the AM radio, it'll go to static, and, and if you bump the power seat button, it'll mm-hmm. clear up. Okay. And you said something about some wire that might be grounding out under the seat? or uh, Yeah, that thing was a different uh, situation. That was where he had a battery that kept going dead, and the seat heater wire, I think, was if, if it's the call that I'm thinking of. Normally on that, John, there is a part in the back called an antenna amplifier. It's somewhere back in the trunk area. And I would assume it's got a loose wire or a bad ground or something going to that, and it's not amplifying the signal coming from the antenna enough. 
and when you're hitting a power seat, it's just creating the situation. Yeah, well, the power seat clears it up. Yeah, well, it may be finding a ground through that circuit because the other one is inadequate. In other words, what ground will do is what they call a transient. It will go out through the system. It's going to find a path to ground. Yeah. It may pass through a number of things. When you hit the seat, that may just allow it to take a path to ground so that the amplifier works a little better. I would almost bet you that's where it's going to be. The only other thing I can think of is that the cable that runs from the antenna, wherever it might be, to the radio is also grounded. It has a coaxial cable. Okay. And that coax has to be grounded. If that coax were loose, it could also do the same thing. So it could be loose on the radio? It could be loose on the radio end or the antenna end. Does it have the antenna in the windshield? Most of those, I think it's actually in the back windshield. I think it's part of the heater. Well, it may be. It doesn't have a regular antenna sticking up anywhere? No, it doesn't. Yeah, it's probably part of the rear windshield heater. I think they use that. They double that up as a antenna, and that's when they went to the amplifiers because it didn't pull in good enough by itself. But, yeah, you can look in the trunk and kind of, if you can still lay down on your back and look up, which I know I can't, but you're going to see where it's plugged in in there. Maybe plug and unplug that coax, and same token on the dash. That's going to be a lot harder to get to. But yeah. most likely it's either going to be a loose coax cable on one end or the other, or that little amplifier is not grounding properly. Yeah, the only other thing that goes along with this, mm-hmm. every once in a while, mm-hmm. the dashboard, all the lighting on the dashboard go off. Yeah, just momentarily and then uh-huh. come back. Yeah, uh-huh. it's probably going to be related to the same problem. I would almost bet if you find one problem, you're going to find both. Okay. I'll bet you got a ground somewhere in there. Well, that's, that's not what I'm thinking. It, it mm-hmm. sounds, it's, you know when you got an input circuit to a, a radio or mm-hmm. something, or yes, speakers, mm-hmm. they'll buzz. When yes, you sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of those things going to be a little difficult to find. Check those things that I told you. If that doesn't do it, you can make an appointment, bring it in. i got a guy who's pretty good at finding that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, we could probably locate it. just take me a little while. Okay. All righty. Thanks. Okay, John. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Fire, we'd love to have you. And we got Don on the line. Good morning, Don. Yeah, good morning. How are y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Good. Let called you about three weeks ago about... The light on my dashboard showing there's a light out, you know? Okay. And I checked the rear. Mm-hmm. He said it would be on the rear. Mm-hmm. And I checked, and I had a, I got a light on each side mm-hmm. of the license plate. Yes, sir. And one of those was out. Okay. So I put a new bulb in there. Mm-hmm. Bulb with a brand new bulb, mm-hmm. and the light is still on on the dash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if you're absolutely sure, Don, that's on a Toyota, you said? It's a 1989 Toyota. Yeah, if, if you're sure all the bulbs are good, then it's the module that runs it. There's a little module that runs that. That module would be bad. That's the only other option if all the bulbs are good. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, because that license plate light does not go through no, that circuit. I don't think it does. I think all that all does. All tail lights and right, tail lights. Oh. But it's a little electronic module. I believe it's underneath the shift console, if I'm not mistaken. But there's a little module that actually runs that lighting setup. And well, you're not going to want to know what it costs, so. No, it you might just want to take put your little piece of black electrical tape over that little light so you don't see it anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, yeah, so it don't hurt. The only no. time it's on is when, when the light's on. That's right. right. That's right. And probably that little module has just failed over the years. I mean, they do go out. I've changed a handful of them. Most people never want to spend the money at call because I believe – Last time I priced one, it was about 400 bucks. So. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I can deal with the light. That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, but that would be the only other option if you're sure. It's not like you went over the lights pretty carefully. I've seen people miss a light or something. But, yeah, all the lights are on. They're all working. It's got to be the module. And that light being on would be something out on the rear, huh? Yeah, right. it, it doesn't check the front lights. It only checks the park and the brake lights. Brake lights and maybe the turn signal bulbs. 
Okay, well, all those are working. Yeah, if they're all working, light's still on. It's going to be the little modules just going bad. Okay, well, all thank right. you. Okay, Don. Bye-bye. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flav's, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boo's off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for 500 bucks and give them a lousy job. Listen to me, and take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us on Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, tweet to us trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. And you put a 225 in front of that number. We'll get you to us from anywhere in the continental United States. That's right. And if you're out of state listening to us on maybe iHeart or one of the other programs that rebroadcast radio that's right please give us a call we'd love to hear from you this morning well, that's right we always enjoy hearing from our out-of-state guests and we got a tremendous number who listen on podcasts be it on itunes or on stitcher or any of the other podcasts Podbean. Uh, right there's, there's, there's a pile slew of them, them. <laughs> pile of them out there because we get a ton of email you know i like to read a few of the emails just on every show got one here from mike and mike is in bethel connecticut mike got a honda pilot and he's not having any kind of problems with it at all. And he wondered the transmission fluid and what they call the VTM fluid, which is the rear differential. Correct. Should it be changed? And if he's not having any problems, why would he want to change it? That is one thing. You want to spend a little bit up front when everything's working right, mm-hmm. nothing's broke. Mm-hmm. Spend that little bit up front and get the service done. Maintenance. That way you save from having to spend a lot later when it starts failing. Well, that's right. You don't ever want to push anything until it fails or until you have a problem. It's sort of what they call run to fail, and that's the most expensive way to actually maintain anything. It's sort of like if you start feeling bad and you start getting a little temperature and you just totally ignore it, and all of a sudden you start coughing up blood. <laughs> right. Well, well now I guess I better go see about this. You know? Yeah, a little well, too little too late. It, it might have been a whole lot better to take better care earlier on. You could have prevented a whole lot of sure. pain and suffering and possibly the outcome. Same exact thing with the car. The reason that you do maintenance is because it is something that does not cost a whole lot that prevents something that does. For instance, with the fluid, if the fluid gets broken down in the transmission or the differential, you may have a failure in that unit. And changing these fluids is something that costs, oh, I don't know, 100 to $150, as opposed to the part it's protecting, which may cost two to $4,000. Exactly. So that's the actual definition of maintenance, and that's why you don't ever want to run to fail in fact, if you read the detailed topic this week on the website, it's on why should I get a tune-up if I don't need one. And the term, I guess, need is where the key is, who needs a tune-up. Because 
tune-ups today as such are not ever going to show you any symptoms. The car is not going to start misfiring. It's not going to start idling rough. Your fuel mileage is not going to fall off. You're not going to have any symptom. Right. In fact, when you have a symptom, you've got a much bigger problem. Sure, because all that is electronically controlled now, whereas back in the day it was kind of mechanically controlled. Well, that's right. And today's computers can take up any gaps or any variations as far as they can go and then when the computer can't take it up anymore or when something mechanically fails that's when you start seeing the problems well and the thing is why would you do it then if the computer can allow for it because it takes a toll for instance when a spark plug starts to wear when the gap gets wider and wider it requires more and more energy to ionize that plug gap and make it fire. So what the computer does is increases the duty cycle on the ignition coils. Right. Well, it just gives it more fire. Right. Now, the thing is, they're designed to operate at a specific duty cycle, and the way duty cycle works is that it can be on a certain number of seconds per minute, but the rest of the time it has to cool down, regenerate, and all that. Let's say it's designed for a 10% duty cycle. That means for one-tenth of a second it can be on, but the other nine-tenths it has to sit there and cool down. Correct. Now, if you start to push that to two-tenths, three-tenths, well, now you're 300% of what it's designed to do. So it starts to overheat and ends up burning up the coils. Now, depending on what kind of car you have or vehicle you have, let's say you got an eight-cylinder, you may have eight ignition coils on it at $200 a piece. Exactly. So instead of changing out a set of spark plugs, which you have to change anyway— now you have to change out a set of calls and a set of plugs. <laughs> right. So you're upwards, you know, 1600 Oh, yeah. You can jump $1, way, way, way up there for something that just absolutely could have been prevented. So that's why you do the maintenance on the vehicle. And this is a good article. It goes into all that and a lot more. www.agcoauto.com if you just want to pop on there and peruse through that tons right. of other good things you can do while you're on there there's a well. lot of great things you can do on that site there's the vehicle questions which is a straight to the point answer to a particular question mm-hmm. then there's the detailed topics which you mentioned before mm-hmm. which is a much more in-depth article on a certain topic right a specific topic and then you have there's several other things the fun section is still there i believe That's right. mm-hmm. you can go on there and actually win a free agco t-shirt you can if you don't want to call in live to get your agco t-shirt you can go in there and answer a bunch of questions and i'll get you one that way as well and i'll guarantee you all the answers are on the site they are and there's actually a little cheat sheet if you just can't get it you can click on that and it'll take you to where the answers are there you go couldn't be easier there you go <laughs> and you learn a little something in the process that's right of course we have our ballpark quote game on there i love that game you just absolutely no, gotta great. have a ballpark figure that gives you one as accurate as any other shop is going to give you <laughs> so you don't even have to bother calling and asking you can just pop on there and it'll generate a ballpark figure for you there you go real easy but key word here is game. So, yeah. <laughs> well, of course, if you have a question that you don't find on the site, you can't find what you need, just go ahead and send me an email. It's contact bar on every page. When you send me an email, I'll get an answer right straight back to you, just as within 24 hours for certain, and sometimes a whole, whole lot quicker. Last night, I was sitting there working on a computer, and a gentleman in, in New Jersey, okay. and I hope I pronounced his name right, I think it's Yakov is the way they pronounce it. And Yakov had two questions on his 2007 Impala. He said, one is the idle RPM tends to go up and down slightly when the car is sitting idling. And also his AC is not cooling well, and he wonders if he just have it recharged. Well, the first answer on the idle, usually idle situations are either going to be one of two things, a vacuum leak or a dirty throttle body. Because the computer controls idle, there's no kind of adjustment or anything that's going to affect that. So almost every time it's going to be one of those two things. Either the throttle body is dirty, can't find idle, or it's got a vacuum leak and it's letting unmetered air in. Right, and with unmetered air, it can't control how much fuel to it's add. Starting so to it's starting to lean out, and the O2s are trying surge. to override it, so it's going to be surging right. up and down trying to find idle. 
On the second answer, ever, ever, ever let anybody add refrigerant to your car without diagnosing the problem first. Kind of one of those things, anybody who would do that is not anybody you'd ever let work on your car. Exactly, because <laughs> the air conditioning system is a closed system. It carries a precise amount of refrigerant, mm-hmm. and when that refrigerant gets low, it's low for a reason. There's well, a leak somewhere, and it's, it's gone somewhere. at all like old days systems where you used to hold maybe five pounds of refrigerant, so if it got a pound low, it wasn't a big deal. You could, But now a lot yeah. of these systems only hold between 12 and 16 ounces. That's completely 100% charged. So let's say you've got a problem like one of the cooling fans is not running at full efficiency. So now the head pressure is already elevated. So when the head pressure elevates, it quits cooling. Well, the first thing you do is go pop another can of refrigerant now. Well, you just dumped another 12 ounces of refrigerant. Right. Now it is double overcharged, plus you got a cooling fan issue. You just blew the compressor and the evaporator core up, a job that probably would have cost two or $300 and turned it into a $2,500 job. If it can still be repaired. If it can even be repaired. That's the big deal because when the compressor comes apart, those metal shavings get in the system. Everywhere. So now and, you're into a condenser right. and everything else because you can never clean all it out. So absolutely never just go and add some more refrigerant to the system worst possible thing you can do and boy i've got a ton of articles on the website on that very topic exactly so that was another good email we had gotten tell you what we're going to go back and catch some of these phone lines we got steve online good morning steve good morning lewis brian good yes, morning sir. i got a 2000 caravan mm-hmm. with a three liter v6 in yes it. sir uh-huh. and my emissions light came on the other day and i needed an inspection sticker anyway so i took it in and mm-hmm. got the rejection sticker and yes, what was the code was yes, and it was that P601. What is a 601? I'm not familiar with it. The checksum error in the computer, it said. Okay. A lot of times, that's actually the PCM itself has a malfunction in it. Yeah. What you could possibly do, Steve, is to reprogram it. Chrysler computers can be reprogrammed. We can do it, or just about anybody with a Chrysler scan tool can do it. Uh That would be the first thing I would try because that doesn't cost very much at all. But Chrysler's had a number of issues with their computers, in my experience. We changed quite a few of them out. Could be one of the drivers has dropped out and it's got a non-recoverable error. And it may still run because in some cases, let's say it loses the cam sensor function. What it'll do, it can actually reroute. It'll take the crank sensor and it'll just half that number because it knows that'll give it a close enough reading. Or let's say the airflow meter circuit goes out. Well, it'll just take an average reading and keep you running, but it knows it's an issue. So wham, the light comes on. So just get that check. It may be as simple as a reprogram but it may be as it involved as a new computer that's generally what that era is it's pretty straightforward i think what the trouble tree says check the fuses check the inputs and if that ain't it change the computer are those computers expensive moderately yes or probably five six hundred dollars it's not something you just want to throw at it to right. some hopes yeah i wouldn't just change it in a, in a hope i'd have it checked to make sure that's what it is because there are a few other things that could cause that and it has to be reprogrammed so you can't just get one and put in yourself yeah, yeah, I understand. Well, that's all right. I need to come see you for some tires anyway, okay. so make it all-in-one deal. There you go. <laughs> okay, I'll make an appointment with you Monday. Okay, Lewis. Steve, sounds great, man. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we'd love to have you. And we're going back to the lines with Kelly. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. Got an 08 Dodge 2500 uh-huh. in it. Okay. I'm really good about changing the plugs on it. You've warned me about that yes, before. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Anyway, changed the plugs in it back in December. Okay. And noticed my fuel mileage going down and down and down. I was getting about 14 and a half. Now I'm about to nine and a half. Wow. Ooh. Okay. The only difference I've noticed in it is every once in a while sitting idle, mm-hmm. you'll feel it 
little surge. Motor just sputtered just momentarily. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Split second, but still runs fine. Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, Kelly, there's about three things that come immediately to mind, and the most common thing is one of the plug wires is going bad. What happens is the carbon fiber wires, and they get pretty tired in time, and when you pull them off of the plug, you have to kind of twist them and bend them a bit. It could be that one of the wires just failed on you. That does happen a number of times. We've gotten any more on higher mileage vehicles. We just automatically change the wires when we change the plugs just because we've had a lot of problems. This one doesn't have wires. Has coil packs? Coil packs. Okay. Well, you got like a little boot on the bottom of that coil pack. Could be the same thing. That is kind of like the wire would be. So make sure one of those isn't cracked and maybe firing through. And what you would have to do, Kelly, is to have a Chrysler scan tool where you can go to mode 6 and see which cylinder is misfiring because you're not going to pick it up on a check engine light or anything. It's not going to set a code. But if you can pick up the misfire with lab scope or a mode 6 scan tool, then you know which one to pull out and check. Now, the other option is I have seen defective spark plugs, brand new out of the box, and it seems like we see more of that nowadays than we used to see. I know probably in the last month I've had that happen to me a couple of times, and this is with brand-name Motocraft, Delco, spark oh, yeah. plugs. You right wouldn't across think that, the line. Yeah, across the line we're seeing that more and more and more nowadays. Could just have a defective spark plug in it. The third thing is – I don't know if you check the gap on the plugs before you put them in, but sometimes a plug will get dropped. They're supposed to be gapped when you buy them, but plugs can get dropped, bounced around, all that, and the gap may be off on one of them. No, I'm pretty pretty, pretty good at checking. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I would bet you're either going to have a call boot that's bad, and again, pulling it off of that plug, putting it back on, could have just ruptured. If it gets a tiny, tiny hole, the spark every once in a while will just jump through the boot to the cylinder head rather than that plug, and you'll get a little misfire. And it only has to happen like one out of every thousand times, and you're going to, mileage is going to drop right down because you got a misfire. The other is a defective spark plug. Okay. All right. Yeah, that sounds like something I don't have time to do this time. <laughs> yeah, well, without some kind of instrumentation where you can see which one, it'd be tearing everything down, looking around, hoping to see something. Even moving one to the other, you still have to have a way to verify it. Yeah, if yeah. you start moving plugs around, you don't know which one, because if, you, if you're moving one cylinder to another and still missing, did you do anything or not? You know, right, you have to have wherewithal to verify which cylinder is missing. Yeah, either a lab scope or Dodge on their, I think, I forget, what's the, what's the new Chrysler scan? DRB? Uh, no, there's no, one pass at the Star yeah. Tester. The modern Star Tester will actually do a Mode 6 test where it will give you a graphing range of all the plugs, tell you which one's misfiring and all that, which makes it pretty easy when you have that kind of wherewithal. All right. Well, that sounds like a job for y'all. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I got a new truck coming in next week, so I'll probably just bring this one to you whenever okay. I get a chance. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you, love. Okay, Kelly. Bye-bye. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. That's something that seems like to me, all the years I did mechanic work, which is 45-plus years, I never remember having to change spark plugs out. You know, have a, a bad brand-new plug. Right. That's something just, I guess, everything's built, again, yeah. built offshore in nowadays. The, in and the last couple of years, we just seen, it just seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm not talking about white box junk where you'd expect to get. Right. We're talking about brand name, yeah, high dollar stuff. Top of the line, Motocrafts, Delcos, right. Champions, or whatever brand is OEM on that car. Haven't seen it a whole lot on the NGK product, but I always like to put back the original equipment plug, whatever comes in the car. But right. What was it designed for the engine? That's right. I don't know if they're dropping these things, bouncing them around, or just not I got a whole box of AC Delcos the other day that the electrodes were smashed on. There you go. Hey, uh, we've got to take one last little break and be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. 
Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know, I friended you. But please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 499-9526, and we still got several minutes left. We'll be glad to try to answer any questions you might have, give you some advice, kind of point you in the right direction. That's right. We can get you done right now, but if you wait about, another, be about another eight or nine minutes, that's then, it. <laughs> we're going to have to go to the website. That's it. Of course, you can't always go to the website. All right. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is a-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get it back within 24 hours and a lot of time sooner. That's right. It couldn't be easier to use because when you go in there the first time and fill out that information, it's going to ask you your name and your email address and the type of vehicle you have and so on. But when you go to send it, it'll pop up and say, would you like to save this information? And if you put yes, then it'll save all that. So next time you want to send an email, all you have to do is put the mileage in the complaint. And it'll bring it up. And it'll That's store great. multiple cars for you and everything else. So if you've got three or four or five cars, whatever, it'll just bring up a little drop-down menu. You pick the car you want, push the button, fills out the form for you. That's great. Couldn't. Filling out those forms is, is a pain. Oh, it is. It always is, especially if you've got a <laughs> long, long email address that you've got to keep keying back in. Right. You've got to key it in twice on most stuff just to make sure you got it right the first time. But, exactly. yeah, this does it all for you. You go ahead and put it in there one time and save it, and you're in good, good, good shape. You know, talking about emails, I got an email from a fellow named Charlie, and Charlie's up in High Ridge, Missouri. has a little Ford Ranger pickup, an older one, 1986 model. And he says what he does, he goes to start it when it's cold, and it'll die on him. And uh-huh. he can crank it, and it'll die, but it'll crank right back up. And if you kind of keep your foot on the gas, it'll keep on running. And he actually says, well, do you know anything about that? I said, well, yeah, I know quite a bit about that. <laughs> Back in the day, I used to work on quite a few of those, and they had a lot, a lot of trouble with idle concerns on those vehicles. They had problems with oil getting up into the throttle body and what they call the idle bypass valve. Uh-huh. And it would plug it up, and that would make them start to die at idle like that. And Ford actually came out with a little kit that you could install, and it was just a little plate. You took the idle control valve off, it bolted in under that plate, and it had a little set screw in it where you could actually adjust the idle. And it kind of helped with the issue quite a bit. I even gave him the part number on it in case he needed to try to find one of those. But I think it's probably going to be obsolete from Ford. I don't right. know that you'd be able to find one. He might. But if you can't, sometimes you can go on like eBay and you can find some new old stock. Maybe a shop had one laying on the shelf and they never used it, so they put it on eBay. But if you could find that, that will clear that problem up for you. We had good, good luck with that. If not, if you go in and clean the throttle body real well, clean everything out and replace the idle control servo, that will also fix it for a while. It may eventually come back. Right, because the problem's still there. It's just 
you're cleaning everything up, making it work like it was right. designed to work before. They actually redesigned it later on and incorporated this little gizmo that they sell you separately into the new throttle bodies. Right. I forgot what year it was, but I don't think the newer throttle body will retrofit back to the older ones. And that throttle body needs to be cleaned with a special solvent because it is an anodized coating that actually seals that metal, seals the pores in That's that metal correct. to keep the air from slipping through. Mm -hmm. If you use the wrong solvent on it, you will eat that anodization off right. and you'll start getting air leaks past it and then you'll you never really control it you don't want something that's not strong enough to take the oil and the crud and the carbon off but you don't want something that's too strong either because like you said i forgot what they're anodized with it might be cadmium or whatever some kind of a very soft metal that they anodize it that seals the throttle body correct because cast aluminum is porous and if you eat that or dissolve that coating away then you're gonna really end up with some weird problems so you want to get a throttle body cleaner a name brand we use a cleaner that Chrysler makes. It's a Mopar. I don't remember the part number on it. It's blue and white can, of course. Yeah. I think all Mopar stuff is blue and white. Yeah, it may be. But uh, it does say throttle body cleaner on it. Yeah, we use that just because it works real well on everybody's products, not just the Mopar stuff. That's just a brand that we've been real pleased with. And there are some other aftermarket brands out, some other, I guess some other manufacturers that make it. But just you want a chemical that is marked throttle body cleaner Correct. or throttle body safe because you can go in and do some damage to it if you're not careful. On the idle servo, you're probably not going to be able to clean that. You're going to no. end up having to replace that because that's a little stepper motor, and those get oil in them. You can't get into them to clean them. If you could get into it, you'd tear it up. So you're probably going to be into changing that. And right. I like using the original motorcraft. I found the aftermarket ones just don't work right, even out of the box. You can actually take that little valve off, and while you have it off, while you're cleaning the throttle body, you can clean that port out, mm -hmm. clean it out real good. And then when you put the new one back on, it has something to a fresh seal to work with. That's right. And that's a little stepper motor. And an idle control servo is one part driven directly by the computer. It sends a pulse with modulated ground, and it's got hot to it all the time it pulses the ground to this little stepper motor which moves it in and out and it's moving in in microseconds so it's a real fast thing but if you get a short let's say you buy a cheap junk iec and you put on and you get a short that is one part that will take a computer right out right so generally anytime we change a computer on some of those with a direct drive idle control servo we always change the idle servo too just as a precautionary precautionary thing because right Particularly if, if they're having idle concerns beforehand. Because if that sticks or if it's bad or if it's an aftermarket part that doesn't work right, that can actually take out the computer very, very, very quickly. And then you're into a computer plus the original problem. So yeah, <laughs> the, the price goes up pretty fast. On and on and on it goes. And anytime you've got something, a lot of things are controlled through relays. And so it's not as big of an issue because the relay more or less isolates the computer. The computer grounds the relay or it grounds an SCR externally or something like that. And that actuates the part. But when you have the computer controlling something directly, and that is the case where you have little motors. Another part that the computer controls directly is like a purge valve, say on the Chevrolet pickup. That, again, is a pulse with modulated solenoid. And so the computer can directly control it. And the manufacturers kind of like that because it eliminates a relay. It eliminates extra wiring. They're able to directly control this by the computer. But by taking out the relay, and you're also taking out a level of protection. Now the computer is directly exposed to the part. Correct. So if you get in and put an aftermarket part that does not work, let's say it shorts to ground. Well, the first thing to do is take out the computer. And you can also damage those pretty significantly by checking them wrong or trying to check them wrong. If you take a test light with power on it and you take that power lead and touch it to that ground, right? now you're running 12 volts back Straight up. Straight in the ground through the computer. Right, which is supposed to be a 5-volt 
modulated signal. So it's not something that you want to just get in there prodding and poking around. Right. <laughs> yeah, you can end up with much, much, much bigger issues than what you had to start with. So just a little old tip of caution there. Great one. There you go. And I want to remind everybody, if you happen to have a question you didn't get answered during the show today. You can go to the website, get your questions answered that way. You can, the address is www.agcoauto.com. That is right. A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Easy way to remember that is take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company. Mm-hmm. Get you to our site, and there's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night. 24 hours, you'll have it back sometime sooner, depending on when you send it. That's right. And you want to listen to the show live. If you don't, you get tired of podcasts, you want to hear a live feed. Right. Actually, just go to the site, click on podcast, and you can see a little stopwatch counts down hours to the show. Uh huh. And if you click on the face of that podcast, one hour or less before the show comes on, in other okay. words, at nine o'clock, then it'll take you to a link that will take you directly to a live feed. Now, That's great. Any other time, it'll just pop up and tell you it has to be an hour before the show. Okay. But that's a good way you can listen to the show live. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to iTunes and give us a written rating. Yeah, please do, because that really makes our day whenever we go to iTunes see the fresh ratings on. So really, really hope you will do that. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.